morning. Merry Christmas. Okay, um, today is the last day of our Meet the Cast Christmas series. Uh, in this series, we've looked at several people who are important to the Christmas story. Uh, oh, what's that? I'm sitting here going, tell me you guys hear that too. Saying, Lord, did I say something wrong? Anyway, uh, so we've been looking at several people who are important surrounding the Christmas story uh, or the birth of Christ. Uh, and we first looked at, the first week we looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Zacharias. Uh, <laughs> All I want for Christmas is WD-40. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and the second week we looked at Joseph, uh, which was Mary's husband. Uh, last week we looked at the wise men, or the magi. And today we're going to complete the series by looking at, or discussing, uh, Jesus and a man named Simeon. Uh, today we're going to discuss how Jesus entered the world and changed it forever. Uh, but we also need to remember that when Jesus enters a life, he changes a life forever in the same way. And it's very, very important, and just as this holiday is very, very important. Uh, today we'll meet a man named Simeon who waited his whole life to meet Jesus. And I think he reminds us that no life is truly complete until Jesus enters it. Uh, and again, he, met his whole, he waited his whole life to, to meet the Savior, uh, and he lived a full life. But despite that, he just felt like there... It was worth the wait because he knew that his life was complete having Jesus in it. So we titled it uh, Worth the Wait. Now, let's jump right in. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him uh, and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. Now, Caesar Augustus, was uh, he reigned from 27 B.C. to around 14 uh, A.D., and during that reign, he issued more than one decree, but he issued this decree that the world be registered in this census. Now, when it says all the world or all the inhabited earth at that time, it really was just referring to the Roman Empire because they had conquered most of the known world at that time, and the, the, just the simple size and influence they had, they considered it all the known world. Now, the census that took place while, uh, while Quinarius was the governor of Syria, uh, it's People a lot of times get this messed up. This decree was issued that they were to register in their own city. Their own city didn't mean the city where they were born. Their own city meant the city where their lineage originated, where their family had originated, not, not you, know, for, you know, where they were born. Uh, for instance, you know, uh, Joseph was of the lineage of David uh, in the house of David, so he had to go to the city of David, which was Bethlehem. Now, Despite only being engaged, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem to register together. Remember, it was totally different. Their engagements were totally different. We've said this several times, but their engagements were basically married already, awaiting the time uh, to consummate. Um, they couldn't separate as, as a betrothed couple without a divorce. So it was very, very serious. So they traveled uh, together, and they were still in that time when they were to remain celibate. But especially in Joseph and Mary's case, because God told him, not to touch her until 
she gave birth to Jesus. So they were definitely, definitely celibate at this time. And so Mary was pregnant, but she was still a virgin. Now, while in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have her baby. And according to Luke, she probably just arrived just a few days before she was due. Which you talk about faith, how many women here in their ninth month, weeks from delivery, if your husband said, let's jump on a camel and travel, you know, I mean, most people say, you're on your own, homie, I ain't going with you on that, but she got there just a few, I mean, a few days before delivering Jesus, so in Bethlehem, the time came, and she gave uh, birth to her firstborn son, and it's kind of ironic, because Jesus was their firstborn, which made him the legal heir to everything Joseph had, and ironically, Joseph's principal heir was Jesus, who made all of us joint heirs with him to the kingdom of heaven, so it's kind of neat when you look at that. Now, Mary wrapped up Jesus uh, in swaddling clothes and, or cloths and laid him in a manger uh, because there was no room for him there at any of the places because during the census, thousands of people flooded Bethlehem. So it, it, probably a lot of people were staying in weird places because there just wasn't enough room for everybody who came to register, uh, and a lot of people didn't make that as a round trip, if you know what I mean. Now, up to then, it seemed like it was like the birth of any other child. I mean, the story at this point seems pretty common. Uh, but that was all about to change, because Mary had just delivered the one who would deliver the world from sin. Have you ever wondered how difficult and how amazing both that would be? The responsibility of knowing that you are raising the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. I, I've talked about this before, but I just can't imagine raising someone who was God. You know what I mean? What a, what a massive, massive responsibility. But little did Mary know, and this is the sad part to me, is that this one who was born to save the world was also born to die for it, which is so difficult to just even grasp. But his birth and death and resurrection are the greatest events in the history of the world, and the enemy couldn't do anything to stop any of them. But because he couldn't do anything to stop any of this, he had to put all his efforts into, dis into distracting people from embracing these events. So... From Jesus' birth until today, those three uh, events are what people argue about the most. And I don't understand why we, there's so many arguments that happen at, Christian, at Christmas, and I don't get it. I don't understand the point behind it. But people love to argue most. I don't know if you guys have ever been pulled into this exactly when he was born. You guys ever get pulled into that one? Or, and other people want to argue, should we celebrate it? Because they always bring up, well, there were celebrations of pagan stuff. And I'm, I'm not even going to exhaust you with that right? But here's my reply. I don't care when he was born. I'm just thankful that he was born. That's all that really matters to me. And I will celebrate it. I'll celebrate it. I don't care what they were celebrating at the time he was born. I don't care what the reason for them starting the idea of Christmas was. I don't care. Because Jesus came into this world to give me eternal life. He came to die to pay the sin debt of the world. So I will celebrate it in December and every other month and every other day year round because it's just that important and I refuse to argue about the birth of our deliverer. I refuse to argue about that. And I feel sorry for those who miss the joy of this celebration because they're distracted by the enemy. And every year, I try to be patient, which this might shock you, is not one of my greatest qualities. But I try to be patient with people like that, you know, when they always come up and say, well, you know, you're, Jesus wasn't really born in December. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't care. <laughs> okay, just saying, I don't care, right? And as we'll see in the next few verses, God certainly wasn't afraid to celebrate Jesus' birth. Luke 2.8, it 
It says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Okay, I'm going to throw something in here on the side. Any time in Scripture that they're confronted by divinity, whether it be uh, an angel or whatever the case may be, you ever see those books and stories where people are talking about how they walked around in heaven and talked with them? You know, here's how that really works. When you see them, the glory is so majestic that you fall to your face in terror because you, can't, you don't even feel worthy to be in those presence. Another sermon. Anyway, they were terribly frightened. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with them an angel, uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is well pleased." So, in verses eight through fourteen, Luke makes this transition from the manger to shepherds tending the flock. There's something that has always kind of went through my mind when I read this story. Have you ever wondered why God made such a special? Uh, made, such a, make, made it such a big deal to tell the shepherds first. That was the first ones he announced this to. It seems like he would have announced it to kings. It seems like he would announce it to world leaders or the priests. It seems like that would have been who he would have went to first. That's, you'd think that would have been his priority. But instead, he sends his heavenly host and his messenger angel, which would have been Gabriel. He sends them to the shepherds. But when you think about it, it does make perfect sense because Jesus was in the lineage of King David. And King David was a shepherd before he was a king. And David shepherded his flock in the fields of Bethlehem. Okay, so it makes perfect sense because this was kind of a shout out to Jesus' Davidic roots. This was his way of honoring his Davidic Davidic roots uh, and his his roots from the shepherd trade. And also, Jesus would become to known as, uh, be known as what? The good shepherd. You know, you can answer those since they're in question form. <laughs> throwing that out there. But the good shepherd, and we're supposed to be his sheep. If you look at John chapter 10, starting in verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We are the sheep. And they're very dumb animals, which is another sermon. Anyway, verse 12. <laughs> He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So realize this is also a tie to the common people. It was the common people who anxiously awaited the arrival of the Messiah. The priests uh, and the kings and the ruling uh, authorities of that time had gotten completely sidetracked. They were worried about their own popularity. They were worried about their own power. They were worried about their own profit. They had lost sight of the Messiah. As a matter of fact, the priests and the Jewish leaders, they wanted a Messiah that was a a god of war. They wanted one who would come in and, and slaughter the the Romans and put them in charge to rule on high. That's their hope for a Messiah, not, you know, deliver us from our sin. They wanted a Messiah that would reinstate the power of the kingdom of Israel as it had been at one time under David and under Solomon. But at that time, most kings and priests and politicians were so distracted and self-absorbed, they didn't even care 
So he was reaching out to the common people. Because, you know, I'm so thankful we serve a God that is for the common person, who lived as a common person, who had to struggle like a common person, and chose to do so so that when we are struggling and we are hurting and we are confused, we know that he sympathizes because he was there. He's been there. And I think that's so powerful that the first people he reached out to were common. Now, the announcement itself, it says, come from an unknown angel, which, you know, is likely Gabriel, uh, because God was a proud father. And I think sometimes we forget God was a proud father like any other proud father, and he wanted to make that special announcement even more special. But the glory of God had shown all around these angels terrified the shepherds, and I explained why. They were actually scared when they saw this. So the angel told him not to be afraid because he brought good tidings of great joy, which will be for, who's that to? All people, which is not up there, and I shouldn't have asked, but to all people. Now, notice, this is really cool. Notice the angel personalized this announcement because he said, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Why? Because the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is personal. It is personal, and I think sometimes we forget that because they were designed to offer a personal relationship with Jesus to all who would to believe. That, that's what they were designed to do. From the very beginning, people have been distracted by religion and denomination, and that's not what Jesus came to die for. Jesus didn't come to die for the Baptists. He didn't come to die for the Pentecostals, Lutheran, Catholic. He came to die for his creation. He came to die for people. It is a personal relationship. And that's why he per the angel personalized it, because this is about a personal relationship. Jesus doesn't care about denomination. He's only concerned with our eternal destination, not denomination. And I think sometimes we forget about that. But you see it all through the Christmas story, how they made it personal in every way he could. So next, the angel told him how they could identify their Messiah. Now listen to the titles. They called him Savior, Christ, which means anointed one. Uh, there are several titles for him, Deliverer. Uh, ruler. There's so many regal titles they had for him. But they would find their Savior with all these regal titles in a very common place. They would find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, a horse stall, basically, a barn. Now notice the difference between the regal titles and the humble circumstances in which they, uh, they identified Jesus to find him. That's because Jesus would demonstrate the single most important trait of any leader, and that's humility. He was all about humility because humility places all the attention where it belongs on God. And that's what Jesus did the entire time he walked this earth. Now, after revealing the names and the humble circumstances of the child, something happened. This chorus of heavenly angels starts singing and praising God. Just, has anybody ever tried to imagine that in their mind? Anybody, have you ever like watched those, those big praise things on those videos of all those praise uh, like, I'm trying to think of some of them right now because my mind totally escapes me. But, you know, some of the big popular praise bands, and they have like 70 people on stage, and they have all the lights and all the lasers and stuff. Can you imagine the light show when the angels were singing? Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine listening to a choir the whole time and not one person getting out of tune? I am totally kidding because ours never do. <laughs> Just saying. But can you imagine seeing this amazing, amazing, uh, just this act of praise from the angels teaching us something about the importance of praise. Because the angels understood something that I think sometimes we forget, and that is this is the greatest gift ever given to humanity, was Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given to us. Not just because he's a savior, 
But if you've been saved any amount of time, you find out he's so much more than that. How many times has Jesus been the comforter for you? How many times when you didn't know what to pray? How many people in here have had their heart broken so bad you didn't even know how to pray? And when you get down, you just cry out. Has anybody ever been there? And that comfort and that peace that comes that you can't explain, that's a part of Jesus we don't talk enough about. He's the comforter. He's the comforter, right? He's the counselor. How many times have you needed direction and open up the Bible? It doesn't matter where you open it up and it speaks to you. Has that ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you that it speaks to you and tells you you're wrong? How many of you change the page and say, I opened up the wrong book? Just saying. But he's the great counselor. He's the protector and the provider. I was thinking the other day, back when my wife and I first got married, we had nothing. Absolutely nothing and never missed anything. And I keep thinking all the things we praise God about, sometimes we need to praise God just that we are able to exist, have a roof over our head, have food on our tables, and have good health in our homes because he always provides and he is always protected. This is the greatest gift ever given to humanity. And all he required for, all, for us to be the beneficiary of all that is that we believe. If you look at John 6, 40, Jesus said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, that means perceives or understands who he is, everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, which means it lasts eternally. See, you guys are all over this. Because he has eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Now, notice the angels weren't debating if this was a pagan celebration. The angels didn't say, wait, before we sing, is there any pagan celebrations going on anywhere? Because we wouldn't want to celebrate at the same time there's pagan celebrations. You know, they wouldn't want to say, hey, what, doesn't the sun god or the solstice have a celebration? They're like going, nothing else matters that happened in the earth today because today is born to you a savior. And they were willing to celebrate it. They were just praising the one to whom all praise was due. One thing's for sure, they didn't have to convince the angels, uh, the angels, and they didn't have to convince the shepherds. If you look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 15, it said, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known to, uh, the statement which had been made to them about the child, and all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. So I think it's so amazing that the shepherds were given the message and left. They were that convinced, which takes us into a man named Simeon who need no, to con no convincing. And it's in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. It says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory 
of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at all these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce him, even uh, your own soul, to the end of the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about Simeon other than what's here, right? Other than what's in these verses. But what it does reveal is of the utmost importance, and that is Simeon lived a long and righteous life. He had the respect of his peers. He had the respect of his contemporaries. Most people would see his life and say that he had lived a long and good life and could die in peace, but there was something more. Simeon knew there was something more. He knew that no life is ever complete without an introduction to Jesus Christ. And he didn't want to die until he got to see the Lord's Christ. And the Holy Spirit promised him that he would. And that's why when he saw the Messiah, he saw the realization of all the prophecies and all the promises, and he said, now I can die in peace. And the irony is, from that moment, he would never die. Because the moment he saw the Lord's Christ and believed, he had eternal life. See, the salvation process has never changed. In the Old Testament, they believed in the coming Messiah. In the New Testament, we look back and believe in the one who already came. But this man would never even taste death, but he didn't have to leave this world until he saw him. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because none of us should leave this world without that one introduction. None of our lives are complete without that one introduction. None of us can leave this world in peace until we've had that one introduction. And that's salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. And I look back every year, and I try to remember this, and I'm not going to bawl. But I try to remember what it was like before I knew Christ. And I remember the fears. I remember hearing a truck start at 3 in the morning and thinking it was Armageddon and jumping out of bed <laughs> crying because I was afraid. I remember listening to all the religious talking heads and trying to figure out how I could work my way into heaven and feeling like I was never going to get there. And the one thing that changed my life was that introduction to God's Savior. And it changed everything about me and everything about my life and changed the direction and the hopes I'd had as a child because now, instead of serving me, I wanted to serve Him. And it all begins with that one introduction. So when you celebrate, it's great that you get together with your family. And it's great that you have gifts. But what I always used to tell my kids was, listen, just like you've had to do nothing to open that gift. Have you ever had your kids come up and say, so what do I owe you? At Christmas, anybody ever have that? Anybody ever walk up under the tree and pick up the gift and say, you know what? I can't take this, Father, for I have not deserved it. <laughs> anybody say that? Anybody walk up and look under the tree and see those gifts and think, no, if I take those then I'm enslaved to my parents. You don't think that way. You know what? When someone gives you something, what do you do? You take it. How many people cheated and looked at their presents ahead of time? <laughs> that goes without saying. How many people never cheated and looked at their presents? I just couldn't find them. <laughs> but when I came down the stairs on Christmas morning, anything in my way was going to get trucked. Because I was going to tear into that gift because it was put there for me. Jesus is the gift that was placed here for us. He's the one gift that we don't have to earn. 
He's the one gift that we never deserve but get anyway. And the one gift that will follow us into eternity. So yes, there may be pagan celebrations that happened around Christmas. There may be Jesus was not born in December. Maybe he was, I don't care if he was born on the 4th of July. I'm just saying, the fact that he was born is all I need to know to celebrate Christmas. And I, you can do it in December, you can do it in February. Either way, he's worthy of that celebration and he will have it. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. I promise I'd be brief. So while every head is bowed, we always like to give a brief invitation, and especially today, we're not going to ask anybody to come up front. That's not what we do. What we are going to do is ask you, have you opened that gift? If tomorrow was your last day, could you say, like Simeon, could you say the words that he said, now I can <coughs> die in peace? Because that's important. And if this holiday should remind you of anything, it's that salvation is free. The only way to have it is to take hold of it and believe enough to open it. And if you'd like me to pray for you, if you're not sure where you stand, or you just have something else in your life you'd like me to pray for, I want to do that for you. Just make eye contact with me. Put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. And I really do pray. Bless those people. Because the greatest gift you can give back is faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do, and I thank you for everything this celebration represents. Lord, we're not going to get caught up in the arguments and the distractions that the enemy has put out there for us. We know that we celebrate this today with pure hearts because we are celebrating the greatest gift ever given. You sent your only son to die on a cross innocently in my place. And had I been the only one that ever stepped out into sin, you would have still sent him because you love your creation. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to come and die for me. Thank you for taking every sin I ever did commit or ever would commit on your back to that cross. Thank you for suffering the stripes that should have been on my back. Thank you for being pierced through for my transgressions. Thank you for the love that took you to the tomb and brought you out. And I will praise you every day. But if there's someone here who doesn't know you or listening or watching who doesn't know you, no doubt their whole life they've been deceived, they've been tricked, they've been confused because we have made difficult the most simple thing, salvation. God, clear their mind and remind them just like there's gifts under that tree that they just have to open, salvation is a gift that they just have to believe. And when they believe, you've promised that that gift is theirs. And if they make that decision today, I just pray they contact us because we want to rejoice with them like the angels did the shepherds. And God, for those of us who believe, let us remember when we first opened that and give us a passion to lead people to that gift. God, the world is going a wrong direction and the way it turns around is you. And we should be the ones that direct people to make that change. Give us a passion to serve, not just when we're celebrating Christmas, but year-round. Give us love for mankind, not just in December, but year-round. Let us be full of prayer and hope, not just in December, but year-round. And never let us stop giving you the praise and glory you're so worthy of. We thank you so much for all that you do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.